Welcome to Rogue Bogues. I'm your host, Andrew Bogut, Mike Procopio joining us. Episode 44, a lot to get through today, a lot going on in the world of the NBA and basketball in general. So I'm excited for this one, bro. Bogues, we got a lot of fucking shit. I thought it was going to be a, like a quiet week, midweek, and then like Bang. shit starts piling in the last 72 hours, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah a, a lot going on. A few games on the slate today as we're recording, but the coaching... Hot seat season has started, pro. It's officially started. It's earlier than, you know, usually they at least give them till the first week of December, second week of December, but it started this week. Usually, sometimes teams will give you till the new year, but Christmas is, is not so jolly. But Luke Walton has been fired, a coach that we probably both know pretty well. I, I've worked under him numerous times. Um, they let him go a few days ago. He has, a, you know, quoted as 161 interesting games that you were the league's eighth worst winning percentage since he was hired in 2019. So they're trying to say that people out there are saying that should be no surprise he's gone. A six and six and eleven start to this season in a wide open conference was enough to get him pushed. He was sixty eight and ninety three overall in the Western Conference. Oh, sorry, as a Western Conference team. Uh, which isn't too horrible considering where they were a couple of years ago, but I guess their concern would be the growth, the direction. Um, you know, he's, he's he's got some issues with a few players on that roster that we've spoken about previously that, that um, haven't played a lot of minutes. Their lineups have been all over the place at times. Do you think it's a fair firing, Pro? Uh, I don't think so, Bogues, to be honest with you, at, at the time. Um, I don't think – look, the team's been bad, right? The team's been bad. They don't have anybody great on the roster. Like, they got good players, but they don't have anything great in the roster. And they've just been, you know, they switched these head coaches, like, under this owner so many times and the GMs and this and that. Look, if you look at record, you're like, yeah, maybe you should. But you probably should have fired them in the offseason. Like, this whole thing about carrying over coaches for one extra year, like, Oh, you know what? We'll just give him this year. And if it doesn't work out in the first 10 games, he's out. Well, who, why the fuck do you have the guy in the first place? If you're going to wait on that, because you know, like, even if he starts hot, you know how the NBA season is going to go. It's good. He's going to dip back in the shitter for a while. And that's just how the NBA season goes. If they were going to wait 15, 16 games, whatever, 17 games, you should have fired him in the summer and hired your next guy. But I'll tell you what. It's one of the biggest shit show organizations in pro sports. This owner has got to figure this shit out. You've fired multiple GMs since he took over. You've had, what, like five or six head coaches since you've been there. you got to, whoever this fucking next coach is, I don't, I don't care if it's a cardboard fucking cutout. You better keep this fucking guy for a while. And you, and you got to have some stability in that organization. What do you think? This is the same owner that... You know, was trying to get them to play four on five. <laughs> oh, well, if you look at their fucking record that since he's taken over, I think they've done that for stretch of the time. So, for context, he he was famously known as a guy that said, why don't we just leave one offensive player back at the offensive end? And then as soon as we get the rebound, we can we can just throw it long and get an easy shot. And he's so much so that they had the G League team implement that for a number of years, right? And <laughs> the scores were like 140s, 50s, 60s at times. Um, that's that owner. But- who knows, man? It's been a revolving door. They've been in the same spot every season. It feels like every conversation you have about Sacramento the last 10 plus years, if not more, has been fringe playoff, fringe lottery. That's The ceiling is fringe playoff and their their worst is, is down the bottom. Um, Bagley did play yesterday. I just had to look it up. Um, you know, He was in the doghouse with Luke. I'm not sure what was going on there between them two. Wasn't playing. He played well. 13, uh, we'd have 13, 7, and 4 in 34 minutes, 5 for 5 from the field. 
Um, so he played pretty well. Uh, Alvin Gentry is is a is a great coach to play under. Um, what's funny is he was the other assistant with Luke Walton under that Warriors run when I was with Steve Kerr. So Luke hired him as his head assistant. He'll get them. He'll get them some a few more wins. I still don't think they have enough to really you know surge. I don't think maybe they can get a playing spot if they're lucky. But he loves a free flowing open offense. He was in Phoenix, uh, you know, many years ago when they continued on that fast-paced offense. He wants to play fast like a lot of teams today. He loves to get it up quickly. I think he'll be a a breath of fresh air to infuse him for the next couple of weeks, but at the end of the day, I still don't think Sacramento is going to do too much. Do you think, um, you know, if Alvin performs well, you think he can can snarl that job? I don't really think anybody with any type of resume wants that job. So, what you're going to end up doing, Bogues, is you're going to end up hiring a young assistant or one of these retreads that don't have any other options that are just home on their couch, like begging for a job. But do you think Gentry has a chance to keep it? You think he's legitimate? I do think so. For that reason, why Bogues? I think he has a chance because it's not like it's not like you're the Lakers right now. It's not like you're the Knicks. It's not like you're in the shit show now. But it's a great city, great organization. At least has a name, and then guys are being lining up i think you got to be honest with yourself and say look no one else wants this fucking job if alvin gentry can get us even close to playoffs you know uh, we see in any life out of this guy i think we should hire him i think he does have a legitimate chance to you know to to take that but you know how it is bogues everybody wants the new shiny new person you know shiny new car you know this uh, bright assistant that you know from a winning team this and that you know he's going to take us into the promised lands and then you end up firing him in 18 months, you know, it, you know how shit goes there. So I think he's got a legitimate chance, folks, if you can get them, uh, definitely if you can get them to the eighth seed, because right now they're still in the, they're not eighth seed, I'm sorry, into the playing playing games, playing rounds. If you can get them at 10, maybe at nine, you know, you've got a chance. And they're right now, they're what? Well, I think they're 11th, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I think yeah, they're 11th in the e, yeah. West. Big yeah, 8 12. Big win yesterday versus the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't call it a big win anymore with the Lakers, <laughs> but yeah. You know, like the little that old school rivalry, the Shaq and Sacramento Queens days. But what do you know? I don't know much about Monty McNair, who's their um their GM. You know, um, obviously he hasn't his name hasn't been thrown about too much. He's been in the league uh, a long time. But I, I, I somewhat agree that they need some stability. They, they 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 need whoever they get. I don't care who it is. They they need a they need a a five year plan that's implemented with some basketball people now. Vivek, uh, their owner, I'm not sure how hands on he is, but I guess my advice would be if he's hands on, I mean, get your hands off at this point, Vivek, because it's, it's, it's not working. Hire some people, um, hire some, you know, get some H Bobs available, uh, get some analytics people. I don't know. Do whatever you got to do. Open the purse strings. You're going to have to overpay to get people in Sacramento. Uh, I think SAC gets a bad rap. It is it is a farmy town, but I don't, I don't think it's a bad place to live. It's still California, decent weather. But yeah, look, I think that they're, they're in a position where they need some stability, you know, and, and you can't continue to change GM, change president, change this, change that. They've got a decent young core name-wise. It just hasn't fit for whatever reason. Um, I mean, are they, are they? you know, Tristan Thompson's went, went crazy. He was that veteran presence that they brought in to try and steady the ship that it really hasn't helped. He went crazy uh, last week, we mentioned, saying that if you need a coach to motivate you and and that was, you know, credit to him. That was going to bat for Luke Walton, and they still fired him anyway. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, you know, we know they're not going to sign or even have a meeting with any premier free agents. No one's looking at Sacramento like, hey, I want to go there. No. So they're their second tier, third no. tier free agents kind of stars like a Harrison Barnes is what makes sense if they can get a bunch of those guys and actually 
build a nucleus and team of guys that, that play well together, they have a chance. But that's that small market syndrome. If you know you continue to fire your coach and have instability, no one's even going to give you a sniff. And 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 all of a sudden, those second, third tier stars don't even want to talk to you. You know, I agree. I totally agree with you, Bogues. I think stability is something. But you know how owners are. You know especially ones that are very much hands-on, it's impossible for them to be hands-off. Hey, look, it's their, they own the team, so they're paying the bills. So they have the right to do that. The problem is it's not working. And, you know, the biggest problem that they have, folks, is they had a generational player in Luka Doncic you could have drafted, and you drafted Marvin Bagley instead, which it's going to go back. Like, look, if you make mistakes at, like, nine, you know, you could draft this guy at, like, like, nine, and, you know, you missed him, whatever. But you were in the top three, you had a chance to draft a generational player. And, and no one knew he was going to be a generational player back then. Don't get me wrong. But you don't get a lot of chances in drafts, period, to have a player like that. And you, you know, and you, and you sort of miss that opportunity. No free agent will come to you. None, none, none that are very good. Like guys in the top 10 won't come to you. So you're going to have to build through the draft. You're going to have to get these guys under the radar. You got to get the Halliburtons of the world, you know, guys like that. You got De'Aaron Fox, who's been good, but not great. You know, you know, Marvin Bagley's been great. He's great, he's great, but he's he's just the inconsistency, right? Like when he's on, he's on. He's a tough, like during the Lakers game, he played very, very well, made some big buckets for him late. When he's on, he's on, but it's like, yeah, he's still figuring out that consistency piece where you're almost like, we don't need you to be great once in a while and pour the other, just just be good every night. He's a perfect example of someone who's got so much talent that should be spoken about more, but it's just that, that yo-yo effect and, and that correlates to their wins and losses. Absolutely. Consistency is the key. And he, he's got talent. He, he, he's shown that he could do some things. Look, you get Harrison Bonds, who's 19 and 7 every night. You know what you're going to get from him. Halliburton, he's sort of like uh, – Tucker Horton in, in LA, like, I think people overrate him a little bit. He's a good player, but he's a solid, like, fourth or fifth option, you know. And then you got Buddy Heald coming off the bench who can make shots and do some things. Rashad Holmes has been good. But, look, you need stability right now. Look, under Gentry, I think De'Aaron Fox is going to do really well if he could, like, give him some consistency and effort. You know, because of that, the way he like Gentry likes to coach, he'll get up and down, and, and he'll he'll put up some numbers. Harrison's going to put up numbers in any any system. You just got to tell him what he needs to do, and then you know. But these rest of these guys, but look, you got to build through the draft. You got to find diamonds in the rough uh, through you know through free agency. The problem is you're not going to be bad enough to be in the top two, top three. If you're going to be battling for this ten spot, you know you're going to be drafting eight, nine, ten. You look, you can get good players there at 8, 9, 10, but you, look, talent evaluation and player development are the two mainstays that this organization has to do, and they haven't shown they can do either one. So they got to figure some things out now and say, you know what, like we need to be stable. We need to hold the line here, and we need to figure this shit out. And I think it starts with Alvin Gentry. I think if you could sign him up for a couple more years, he's up there in age, but I think he can do it. And I think he could be good, and then maybe you hire a next coach after him. But like, let him f- clean this shit up, and then let your GM clean some shit up. But you got to let those guys work and do their jobs and stop the nonsense. Yeah, no doubt. And they're in purgatory. They're in NBA pur- purgatory, like you mentioned. They're you know not close to a lottery or, or, or top five lottery pick, and they're 
you know, maybe get a playing game. They would, if it was a traditional year with eight teams, they wouldn't be close. So they're in that purgatory. But one I found interesting, Stephen Silas is on the hot seat reportedly. And how are you on the hot seat with a team that has blatantly gone young? They've got a lot of young pieces. They Their, their, their cap isn't too bad. Um, they've sat John Wall, who, look, love or hate John Wall. He has his moments. He'll probably help you win a few more games, having him out. He's, he was an all-star at times and has been close to an all-star other times. They're clearly in rebuild mode. How do you put him on the hot seat? For me, this means one thing, bro. This means that there's a young star on that team that does not like him. I think it, I think that's clear as day because I don't I don't I see no other feasible reason why you'd have him on the hot seat. What you you, you expected to be 500 at this point? <laughs> like, I don't I don't get it. And I'm pointing towards don't know who it is. This is just my theory. There's there's some young guys on that team who are like oh, yeah we don't like this guy like Jalen Green or maybe Kevin Porter Jr. or something like that. Yeah, Bogues. I don't know. It's funny with these organizations that tank and they're clearly tanking. They they say they want to tank. But then when you go full tank mode, like, say what you want about Philly, but at least they supported that thing for a few years of, of being awful, trying to get draft picks and then get good. But now you got this situation where you're doing that here. Yeah, I think they won, what, two games? I think two and 16. And now, because you can't take the heat, because you're not making money, the China thing, you're, you're losing all this revenue, you know, people probably aren't coming because of COVID anyway, and, you know, now you got these problems. Now you're like, oh, well, you know, people are getting to you, probably getting to the owner. Like, look, I don't think you get the right coach. I don't think you get the right coach. They got the right fucking coach. Their team sucks. Like, their team sucks. They got young players that can't win NBA games yet. It's not easy to win NBA games. I don't care how high you're drafted. I don't care if you had the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth pick in the draft. You're not going to win games. Right, their team isn't very good. If Kristen Woods, your, Christian Woods, your best player, no offense, you're not going to win that many games. He's a good player, but he's good if he's like your fourth best guy, maybe your third best guy. Your young guys, Jalen Green, he's a lot like Ubre. He's a lot like somebody like that who's going to be, you know, who's going to put up a lot of shots. He's going to be hot one night, cold in the hell in another. You know, they're, Kevin Porter Jr., same thing. He's not a shooter. He's not consistent. Those guys could put up numbers, but they have no idea how to win. You got Eric Gordon on your team, who's good, who's solid. You know, you're doing your thing with John Wall. I like Steven Salas. I worked for, I worked with him for a year. I think he's very knowledgeable. I don't care if you get Red Hour back with fucking Phil Jackson, fucking, you know, Bill Belichick, and any other fucking coach you want to throw in there. They're not going to win games. They fucking stink. So to put Steven Salas on the hot seat after, what, two years? Not even a year, year and, and some half, change? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a fucking joke. I mean, there's no way. Stick with them. Stick with them. Especially now. But that, that's why I think yeah. it's, it, it's, it must be player. But Riven going to the GM and saying, hey, we, we, you know, X, Y, Z, we don't like this. He's not not this, not that. But if I'm him, you know, what, what, what are my KPIs? It was to develop young guys. We're not. You know, okay, maybe we could have won a few more games, um, but <laughs> like, I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand that to come out at this point. There's they're a month into the season, or a month and a half into the season, and you're talking about one of the most blatantly tankable rosters out there that's gone young and, and he's had a, had a top five pick and whatnot that he's just trying to develop to now. Oh, we th- maybe we thought we should have been five and fifteen instead of. <laughs> it's just non- nonsense. And you know what's nonsense is he's on the hot seat before the Chicago game. He wins the Chicago game. Now he's off the hot seat until he loses two games in a row and he'll be back on the thing. Yeah. Look, it's year two. It's year fucking two. You're terrible. You're not going to get any players. 
you got to build through the draft. It's like Sacramento with better strip clubs, right? Like, it's in the same situation. <laughs> like, you know, you're there. Nobody wants to come to you right now. They did when they had Harden and they had, you know, Paul and those guys. Like, yeah, because you're good. You're good. Nobody wants to go to an NBA city for the most part unless you're L.A. or Miami if you're losing. And you're losing badly. So they got to they gotta hold the fort, all right, and say, look, okay, we're not going to tank anymore. We're going to try to win. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit better in free agency next year. We'll give you a few more weapons. But now we've, we've got our draft picks. Let's go. Now, look, they've given a lot of their draft picks away, too. They got a couple back in the, in the Harden trade, but they gave a lot of them up um, uh, to Oklahoma City in that, in, in that Chris Paul deal. Uh, I believe that, the, that that was the deal that they gave up a lot of them, a lot of them to, to get them off the books. So, you know, they don't really have a lot of great – they got a lot of pick swaps and giving the picks up to them, and they got a couple back in the, in the Harden deal. But it's, it's going to be hard, slim pickings for them. So, look, you got to develop Green, develop Porter, de- you know, develop those guys um, and just figure it out. But just, you know, you're not going to fire your fucking – well, they might, but the, you're not gonna, you can't fire your fucking coach 20 games in when, with that roster. It's crazy. Oh, it's very crazy. That's why I brought it up. And we'll, we'll hit Vogel, uh, Vogel a little later and the fact of fake news. We've got him penned in to discuss that one a bit later, so we'll get into that. I mean, let's move on. This has been the week of LeBron for, I guess you could say, all the wrong reasons. Um, he's had a busy, busy week prior. He's, he's, he's been involved in everything and anything He's, he's uh, and hit some big shots as well, so not just off the court, but... Let's start with the Detroit game, Pro. What were your thoughts around that? I mean, he, you know, I'll, I'll watch the replay. If that's anyone else but LeBron, you're getting more than one game. The the craziness of this is that he LeBron got less games than Isaiah, which I don't, I don't care how Isaiah reacted. He didn't get to him. He didn't leave the court in a timely manner. So be it. Um, I get why the NBA somewhat gave him a two games because it could incite a, you know, Malice in the Palace type type brawl. But you can't give, you know, Isaiah more games than LeBron. Like LeBron blatantly punched a dude in the face. Like I don't I don't care if people say it's not in his MO, uh, he doesn't have a history of it. It doesn't matter. A punch is a punch and there's clear rules about that. There's guys that have got five, 10 games for a punch, right? And that history doesn't help those guys usually if they've had a, a bad rap. But for him to get one game is just bonkers. The replay, you know, to say it, just, it wasn't accidental. He was trying to get him off him. Could he claim that his arm slipped up in the replay? Play didn't look like it. He got him square in the cheek um, and nose, and just an ugly situation. That obviously I don't condone. You know Isaiah not leaving the court in a timely manner. There were people out there. I saw Reggie Miller's comments. He said that you know the reason why he didn't he didn't leave the court in a timely manner. He was frustrated, and then once you know once he saw blood, that's when he reacted. And it's like okay, it's, it's a poor excuse, but you know you you know as we've we spoke about just last week about the you know I'll see you outside type shit in the NBA you're not getting to him like you're not you're not getting through 15 players like you're not a, you're not a um a linebacker or a quarterback weaving through like you're not getting to him period no matter how bad you want to do it um so silly by Isaiah I liked Isaiah's comments he said look I don't think I think it was on purpose. I reacted poorly. I'm not commenting about it anymore. So I think he handled it like a man. He took the podium just yesterday at a press conference. But what are your thoughts around the first off the the one and two game um, thing between those two, pro? Do you think it's fair, or do you think it should have been the other way around? Bogues, I'm I'm not. I could piss in a cup if you want me to. I've not taken any drugs. I'm gonna stand up for LeBron this one time. You know how I feel about the guy. I'm not a fucking fan. I'm a huge fan of his game. Not really a fan of him. But to me, I don't think – it was hard for me to prove that, like, he did it blatantly, 
you know, to start a fight or to, or to cheap shot the guy like that. It looked like it was just one of those things that it just, he hit him, he fucked up, the league gave him the game, he didn't react after it, he didn't try to fight the guy, you know, I can't, I like, I don't know, maybe, maybe he did do it on purpose, I'm not a mind reader, but it seemed like, you know, one of those just a fucked up play, he should have got tossed, which he did, he should have got the suspension, which he did, and Isaiah didn't handle it well. And look, I, and, but I understand why he didn't handle it well. When you get punched in the face, especially if you think it's it's on purpose, which it might have been, might have not been, and you react like that, the problem is you can't, you just can't do the what he did. Like he go, he went nuts. I get it. I'm not saying he should be an altar boy and fucking just walk off, but he did what he did. And LeBron sort of he hit him. Yes, he doesn't have that history. He's not that type of player, in in, in my opinion. But that doesn't that shouldn't really come into it that much. But it just seemed to me as one of those plays that was a bad play. He got hit. They got tangled up. He got hit. LeBron tried to go over to the guy. The guy, look, I understand why he didn't want to shake his hand or fucking, you know, he wanted to go get at the guy. I totally understand his point of view. But I, look, the guy got suspended. It's not like maybe he should have got suspended longer. I mean, more games, maybe as many games. I'm not sure. But it, look, it was a hard play and it wasn't like he tried to escalate that play. He just he handled it the way he handled it, and that that guy lost his cool. And yeah, but pro, you can't you can't give you have to you have to penalize the instigator more. Like we're I hate this in society. I absolutely hate it. Yeah, in, outside of basketball, the person who instigates something should receive the bulk of the penalty. Period. Right, and and we see that in society. It's like I don't condone violence, but. If I'm at a pub or a bar or you're in a pub and a bar and you pick a fight with a dude that's that can clearly beat the fuck out of you and you throw a punch at him and just graze him and he throws one back and knocks you out dead cold and you end up possibly in hospital or a coma, I mean, as harsh as that is, the guy reacting second should not receive more than the, the guy that instigated it. Now, the argument that you make about was it on purpose, was it not, it doesn't matter. It was, it was clear as day, whether it was 50-50, whatever, he instigated it. I just think it sets a bad message that you can instigate something and get a lesser penalty, that that's not right in my opinion. So I would have liked to have seen the other way around, LeBron 2, Isaiah 1 for not leaving the court in a timely manner and reacting the way he did because it can inst- and then explain that it can be another malice in the palace. We get that. I get that. He should get it. But you can't give LeBron less games than Isaiah. That's just my opinion. And even if it wasn't on purpose, it was still you had a, you had an arm. Whenever you go above the neck with anything, whether it slips or not, you're in some shit in the NBA, right? Like it, it could be going to block a shot. Um, a guy's trying to dunk on you and you miss you miss the ball completely fair play you hit his face you're probably going to get thrown out and you might even get a game like if it was blatant they go mm-hmm. down hard right so mm-hmm. I just don't like the instigator getting off lighter than the reactor that's just not fair in my opinion yeah to me if like LeBron threw the ball at him and then like did something like a thousand percent intentional where he instigated that you're right. Like the instigator should definitely get more, or at least as much, but probably more. But to me, unless you could prove that it was like legit, where maybe it was, maybe it definitely it could have been for sure. But like, if you can't prove it, it's hard to say he's the instigator. It was a hard hit, and it was just one of those tangled up plays. To me, now again, it could be right, could be wrong. But, like, that's the thing. Like, if he was intentional with it, if he squared up with him and threw a punch and grazed him, and then, you know, Isaiah hit him with eight shots, I'd still give I'd still give LeBron more games. But to me, I don't know if you could prove it was intentional. But, again, everybody sees this thing a little bit different, right? 
And every a lot of people hate LeBron anyway, so they're going to like side with that anyway. Look, you know me. I'm not really a fan of the guy, but I, I try to be as fair as I can be. I'm not sure. I can't – you know, this is a tough one for me. But Isaiah doing what he did just isn't professional. Like, you got you to gotta do better than that. Like, yo, I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. You know, the only way I'd, I'd give Isaiah more games as the reactor would be if he just like – was trying to get to LeBron swinging and cleaned up three or four people <laughs> along the way, but so one one. So you're you're for one one or two two. Uh, no, I'm for I'm for more for LeBron. I'm for, more for LeBron. I'm for okay, like two it. two LeBron, one Isaiah, three LeBron, two Isaiah, something along those lines. I get why you need to suspend Isaiah. Look, at the end of the day, he didn't get to anyone. He didn't do any any further damage. He delayed the game for an extra three or four minutes. I get I get why they need to suspend him and reprimand him because benches could clear. You know, fans could get involved. I totally understand it. Uh, my whole point is that you know the instigation of cracking someone in the cheek above their shoulders with a closed fist, accident or not, I think that should be a little bit heavier. But it is what it is. Everyone, like you said, everyone disagrees or agrees on it. I'm not judging this upon. On my thoughts on LeBron as a person, I'm, I'm looking at it as if, if if that was Steph Curry and mm-hmm. and um, Draymond Green or someone a former teammate that I really like. I don't care. Like if you if you do that, you should get the the heavier mm-hmm. um, sanction. But and then anyway, let's we'll move on from that. <laughs> then follow up with um, yeah. I believe LeBron in Indiana. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the the rhetoric was here. He got into it with some fans. There were reports. The fans said something along the lines of they they hope Bronny. Bronny, who is his son, dies. Is that what you've heard? Something like that, to that effect, yeah. I mean, they said something, supposedly said something pretty vile. Mm. We'll never know. But I, we'll never know exactly no one what knows. was said. Uh, it didn't look like it was too fiery. LeBron was just literally walked over and pointed at him and, and got him kicked out, which he's copped some shit for being a snitch and whatnot. I, I find it interesting because I've heard, I think every NBA game, you could kick out most fans within earshot of an NBA bench. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, they say some reckless shit, and it's everyone. Like it could be you could you could technically kick someone out for saying, "Hey, pro, you suck." Hey, pro, you're bold, or "Hey, Bogues, like you're you're injury prone, you're 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 sleuth, you're whatever." Right? Like this, mm-hmm. I I could take offense to that, so I could be like, "Hey, get him out of here." The problem with that is within that split second decision that the security guard has to make, they're going to side up the player, you know, ten point. One times out of ten, right? Because they have to. It's on TV. It's on cameras. Security. You know, if something then happens beyond that, they're going to be in big shit. So generally, the poor fan. I'm not saying these fans didn't say what they said, but I'm just, I'm saying it's a slippery slope then because there is a lot of of things said um, by fans that uh, imagine college games. Like college games, you you have to throw the whole fucking student section out. Like you, you know, <laughs> some some schools three four thousand students <laughs> get out. But you know, if it was said that he said something about his son, you know, that's 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 pretty low. If it was, we hope you hope, you hope your child dies anyone as a parent knows that 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 would not be good to hear so i I agree with lebron you know somewhat saying hey cut that shit out you know kicking them out uh, i I don't know about all that just because it it sets a sets an interesting line down the track that let's say you're a bad you're you're having a bad night and you're a star player i'm having a bad night and some guy's railing me and i'm already on edge i'm pissed off the coach i'm pissed off at other players the refs says something as you know hey man you're on my fantasy team like you know, Mike Procopio, hey, you're on my fantasy team, motherfucker. Like, pick it up. Kick this guy out, you know? So then it's, it's it can be a slippery slope. I don't know what your thoughts are. I know you don't love fans engaging too much, but it is it is somewhat part of the game. As long as it's not – I just believe as long as it's not too abusive, um, if it's just like, dude, you suck, like, you shouldn't be kicking someone out for that. Yeah, to me, Bogues, that I think fans should be staying in their seats, which these fans did – I don't know what they said. I don't think anybody really knows what they said. It's not blatant what they said as far as people hearing them. 
And then you got to take players' word for it. And yeah, they might have said it. They may not have. But look, like I understand that there's a certain level that you can't really cross or a line you can't cross. Players shouldn't have to deal with certain things. But like if someone's going to yell, scream shit, and they're in their seat. I don't like when the fans courtside get out of their seat, start yelling at refs and shit. I, I don't lie. I don't think they should have the privilege to do that. I think if they do it from their seat, they do it from their seat. That's what they do. But like the, you're just going to kick these guys out for saying some fucked up shit. And again, you can't prove what they said. That's the problem. And so you're just going to point, yeah, you're just going to point guy and put people out. Look, they paid, I don't know. And in some cities you pay, you know, that's like three thousand a seat or two thousand oh, a seat. Like Indiana, probably five hundred, nine hundred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Five hundred, five hundred. Yeah, that's true. But like, you know, I don't know. I think it's it's a bad precedent when you start getting people kicked out. Like I said, if they if you could if people around them point at them and say, yeah, like they said some racist shit or something like that, then they kicked them out. That's one thing. If a whole group of people are pointing at the person saying, yeah, come on, man, that's fucked up. Or somebody throws something at you or goes in the court. Yeah. Total rejection. Take their fucking seats away forever. But if they're going to throw some, if they're going to say some reckless shit to you, you know, and not a lot of people hear it. Yeah, I think I, I don't think you should throw them out for that because no one knows. Exactly. No one. Hey, you're from knows. a town yeah. that is notorious for that, bro. Boston. Oh, for sure. Man, I used to. Yeah. With Milwaukee and Golden State, these these dudes in Boston would show up to the the pregame warm the pregame shoot uh, individual shoot around warm up like two hours before tipping, or I'd have people heckling me two hours before the game while I'm shooting. You know, like yeah, they were notorious for it, right? And you're like, oh, just, oh man, this, this dude's pissing me off. But yeah, you, you'd kick that whole crowd out based on LeBron. You know, like you'd just be pointing at the whole crowd because they 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 toe the line with every comment. They got that that Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. it's Go hilarious. fuck your mother! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah like, sorry. no, seriously, it's 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 tough, man. But you know what they should do, both definitely. I think you shouldn't leave it up to guessing. I think there needs to be an actual rule in laws that, like, telling people what they can say in a sense. Like, this is the line you cannot cross. Not what you can and yeah, can't racism, say, but you sexism, can't cross this yeah. line. Yes. Stuff like that. But how do you sure. police it? You can put the law in. At the end of the day, yeah. if the security guard doesn't hear it, he has to take the player's word for it, right? So, you know, and a guy that's this polarizing superstar, world-renowned LeBron James, pointing yeah. at someone, you have to kick him out, regardless of whether you even heard it or not. That's the problem, right? Now, if that was Ryan Brokeroff pointing at a fan, do you think he would have got kicked out? They might kick Brokeroff out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fuck off, broker off. Yeah. Go get me a fucking you know a latte, you fucking asshole. Get out of here. Tax season's coming up. That's oh. my point. It's it's just a slippery slope, dude. Like it just it becomes hearsay. Like there's the there's the infamous yeah. one of um, a Golden State Warriors fan and um, LeBron walking off the court one game, and and the, the lady yelled, "Hey, LeBron, how does it feel to be a punk ass bitch?" Now I saw that. And they stopped, like they're going to do something, and it's like, did you, what, is that that bad? It, it kind of is, but it isn't. It's on the it's on the line, in my opinion. There's way worse things that fans say, and it's like, maybe if you cut the the bitch out, you can get away with it. I don't know, but that, that's what I mean. So then it's like, okay, so now it's in that players, it's it's in his realm to decide was that acceptable or not. Let's be honest, players are emotional at times. Might have had a bad game, might have missed a game winner, might have got benched, fouled out, whatever the reason. That's going to influence their decision. Then you've got a security guard. You know whose side does he take? The away fan. I mean, the the home player, the away player, the home player, the away fan, the home fan. It's just a fucking shit show. You you can't you can't. There'll be no policy to police that, bro. That's my point. It's just like. I say, I say, Bogues, the league should implement a player challenge 
where they go to the camera and they figure out what the fuck they said. <laughs> or go the ice hockey route. Go the, go the ice hockey route. They can pick a, crowd, a player, a, a fan out from the crowd and fight him. <laughs> That'll be fantastic. <laughs> that that would stop it really quickly. <laughs> Just like, what did you say? All right, no stop doubt. the game. Come down here, little 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 WWE ring comes out, and they just go at it for five minutes. I would love that. I would fucking love that. Uh, Some so asshole with his fucking face painted. Yeah. And then to wrap up, LeBron is the hat trick for him. He he did the big balls after he shot in Indiana. Went left. He's patented left kind of sidestep, which I still am confused why play, uh, players let him get to that late in games because it's clear as day he wants to go left. He actually looks down at the floor most mm-hmm. times. If you look at the look at those big shots, he'll look down like he's not paying attention. Spring up step back sidestep left three it's money when he's going left i'd almost argue just just get in his space and make him shoot a two make him get to the rim especially late in the game he doesn't have that he can still get to the rim but he doesn't have that 10 year ago lebron bounce and speed to get to the rim i just don't understand that's a story for another day but did you like the did you like the big balls dance pro <laughs> I, I don't know what's that the sam cassell they call it he kind of caught him. I felt, I, like, I felt like he started to do it and then was like, holy shit, I'm going to get fined and tried to change it into, I think he only did one hand for a bit, so it wasn't as obvious, but they still stung him 15K. It was a, maybe it was a one nut dance. Well, yeah, 0.3 seconds of his fucking NBA pay. God, you know, I, I really feel bad for him. <laughs> but yeah, what are you going to do? It's a fucking, that the league's a circus, but what do you, you know. It's a fucking I'm a fan shit of the show. Big Balls Dance. I'm a fan of it. I like it. Yeah, why not? Yeah, it gets a little flair to the game, you know? Like, can't be all that sensitive, but, you know, I don't know, man. The fucking league. The league is uh, very interesting in who they police and what they police and what they don't. Yep. No, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, the Sam Cassell is the original pioneer for those younger listeners. Love Sam Cassell. Uh, he hit a big three and run down the floor pretending like he had big nuts between his legs in his hands as he was running. So it's um, always a fun side. I like it. And I'll just wait for the NBA communications to come out and announce the fine, which is always uh, always fun. All right, next one. What do we have here? So Clay Thompson and, and, and uh, Wiseman are cleared for full contact pro. So I found an interesting video just by accident um, following Clay Thompson. Um, and Warriors media, I assume they told him yesterday after the game that he wouldn't be playing on the next road trip when I think he thought he'd be at least available for some spot minutes. He sat courtside after the game with the towel over his head for what must have been eternity. Like, clearly dejected. <laughs> That's Clay for you. Like, he's hilarious. So, there's a video out there of him. So, I assume that was a conversation. He was probably pumped to go on go on a road trip and potentially, you know, get out get out the jersey for a couple of minutes. And they told him, no, nah, pump the brakes. You're still a couple of weeks away. And he, was, he wasn't too happy about it. But the shit, man, the way they're rolling right now, we've spoken about them at length in pre- previous episodes, to get those two guys back, we forget about, we even probably forgot about Wiseman being out, right? Like, because because the mm-hmm. tension's all been on Clay's injury. But to get those two guys back now on a roster that's clearly, you know, throttling at all cylinders, um, as mentioned on our Q and A, which was before this, someone asked, "How the hell does their second unit come out and beat?" Detroit, the bench is firing. Everyone's feeling good about themselves. They've found some good role players in Peyton Jr. So I'm loving what I see, and I think it's dangerous times for for the league with those two, those two guys. If they come back at even 70 percent for the next month or two, watch out. Yeah, and at least for at least for Clay, like Clay knows how to insert himself into things. Like he'll know that. Of course you know, he does. He'll, he's going to shoot just, it as soon as he yeah. touches it. <laughs> he's not inserting yeah, himself no in the shit, bro. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I told Let's you, man. That's why I thought. What was our number? Sorry to cut you off. What was our number that we said Clay would average when he comes back? I can't remember. We'd have to look it up. It was in the 20, 20, it was 20, wasn't it? 20 a night? Yeah, I think something around 20, yeah, 20 a night. Yeah, I think he, yeah. He'll, he'll get close to those attempts up in his, in his 18 limited minutes. I'll tell you that much. He's going to get him up. 
No shit. No, I think I think Jordan Poole's gonna have a fucking towel over his head, you know, when he comes back. But no, I think I. I mean, look, it's it's perfect. I'm not a huge Wiseman fan, but he can definitely help. He could definitely help them, give them, you know, like give you a different look from like Wiseman and 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 Looney and you know things like that at the center position. And um, obviously, Clay, you know. Clay's gonna do what he does. He, I don't think they're gonna miss a beat with him in the game. I think they're gonna they're gonna be fine. And like they say, oh, he'll be rusty. He'll be rusty. Yeah, sure, he'll be a little bit rusty. But just the way they're together, like the way those guys click. Like Wiseman, not yet because he's too young. But like everybody just clicks. They know they're not gonna miss a beat too much. And he'll be fine. You know, he'll be fine. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Shit, they're the, what the best team in the league. Uh, they're number one record in the league right now. Yeah, clearly, clear, clear number one. So, and they're, and they're rolling. Uh, Phoenix is on their heels. They've uh, they've won was it fifteen straight, almost at uh, franchise yeah, record, close straight. to a franchise record. But yeah, they're they're rolling in to get you know a great two way player like Clayback and even Wiseman. He won't be you know he's not going to play thirty five minutes for him and have a huge impact on whether they win or lose. But he's another body they can have that can continue to develop. So that's one to watch. Zion is cleared. Um, for I don't know what, bro. He's uh, he's cleared for contact, but my point is, what does that mean? His weight's still an issue. Um, does he come back and play limited minutes? Do they still clear him just for you know training contact and weights and conditioning, so he gets another month of that under our belt. They've been pretty pretty coy about what what that means and when he's going to play. There's no no return to play games uh, schedule announced yet, but um. There was a funny meme going around that it was for Zion and and uh, James Harden. There's a fake Shams Charania, Charania, whatever whatever his name is, um, internet account out there on Twitter that said uh, James Harden and Zion out next two weeks. Brackets Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a little I laugh like that. at that. That's good. But what have you heard about Zion? Is he is he back anytime soon, or is it just cleared for for, for practice for a couple more months, you know, weeks or months? I think they're going to try to – they're going to be – it's going to be a lot like the you know, the Kawhi Leonard deal. I think it's going to be a very slow process of getting him back. Uh, you know, I think they're going to they're gonna give him full contact and just sort of rev him up and just sort of slowly get him back. I think I, – I think this is you – know, you know, you know, nobody even fucking knows except them, right? But, like, I think you're not really going to see him for another month get regular minutes. You know what I'm saying? I think – you know, he, look, he's way overweight as it is. He's been injury prone his whole career. Like, you know, there's always a shit show with that whole situation about how they handle him. I think they're going to have very soft fucking gloves handling that kid. And uh, I, I, I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he did, they didn't really ramp him up until close to the All-Star break. But I, who the fuck knows? But, like, he's just big. He's fucking big. And... He's, there's obviously an issue there, so it'll be interesting how they handle it. Yeah, no doubt. I think um, they're not looking. I mean, they've won some games lately, funnily enough, but they're they're still not. I don't think they make the the play in at all. Um, no brainer there, but yeah, I'm just interested to see how they handle all that. You know, it's just not um, not something you want to see from your star is to come back from from an injury overweight. You know, God forbid he comes back and no. then re injures himself or gets hurt further. So John Morant uh, looked pretty bad yesterday. Hurt his knee. Yeah. It's now been announced, sprain. thankfully, it's just a sprain. You know, he put out the, the tweet saying it's in God's hands now. I think that created more panic for people because they no doubt. they thought it was a long-term injury or an ACL. Um, he went down like it was pretty bad. The knee sprain thing, who knows where that's at? I mean, it's a, it's pretty coy by the Grizzlies. They haven't really told us much without telling us something. So it could be, it could be ligament. It could be, 
you know, MCL, PCL sprain. Who knows? We're playing doctor here, but you, you don't want him to, you know, be out. He's such a tremendous player. He's been fun to watch. Um, we've mentioned he's one of the leading pain scorers in the NBA, which is mind-blowing from from the guard spot um, with his kind of body not being the strongest, most physical guy. I've, I've really enjoyed watching him. I've, I've enjoyed watching Memphis to an extent. And the drop-off once he was out of the lineup was absolutely massive. You know, he's he, he makes them go and, and without him, they're not they're not in the mix. So, well, I hope hope we see him back sooner than later if it's just a, just a hopefully a two or three week knee sprain. But if it goes more than that, bro, then there are some alarm bells. Yeah, they don't, really, they don't have anybody else that could really give him much i mean you know dylan brooks could give you a little bit desmond bang give you a little bit but like those guys give you something because of him like the whole you know the the opponent's defense collapses and he'll give him you know steven adams loves he'll give you know he'll give dylan brooks and you know desmond shots from the outside like he's the reason why defense collapsed he put two defenders in the ball and he can make a play for somebody and now it's sort of like that New Jersey Nets team with Jason Kidd without Jason Kidd. You get that one player that creates for everybody. And and Ja's not really a great passer, but like he just such a great penetrator, drop offs to bigs, lob passes, hits to the perimeter. So without him, they're fucked. They're totally fucked. But you gotta rest him because he's like their only really good player they got. So like you gotta rest the guy. You, you can't you can't rush him back. So that'll be interesting, but hopefully he'll come back in a couple, you know, I don't know when he'll come back, but hopefully he'll be back to full strength in a couple of weeks and keep doing what he's doing. 25, 7, and 6, I'll take that. Yeah, and then top five in the point, four points in the paint, which is outrageous once again. All right, one note I thought that you would enjoy being a Boston crony was- um, Sure. There was a comment made about Jason Tatum recently from an assistant. Of course, it was an anonymous assistant coach, but it was an assistant sure. coach has told at ESPN that Jason Tatum is all about Jason, T- Jason Tatum. And the comment was, which I think is somewhat true, and I think it's true for a lot of players, to be honest. We've, we've spoken about this at length, but the quote went like this. He doesn't want to score 15 and win. He wants to score 35 and win. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yep. Look, he, he wants to be a star in the league. You know, he's not a player that's like – he's not Romeo Langford, right? Or Grant Williams trying to – Josh Richardson trying to do this. He's Jason Tatum. He's a top, I don't know, top 15 player in the league. And, like, he's a very talented kid. And, of course, he's going to try to get all NBA, you know, first team, second team, third team, whatever. And he's like, – I'm not saying he's a selfish prick. I'm just saying that he's out for himself to to become this generational player, this Kobe Bryant-type figure. And he's going to try to do it by scoring 35 a night. And I don't think he would take a lesser role – and say, hey, look, Schroeder's going to get 18, you're going to get 20, Brown's going to get 19 and a half, you know, or 18, whatever. Like, he's not going to want to do that, in my opinion. I don't know the kid. I actually coached his dad when he was in college, when high school, but um, I don't know him at all. So, I can't really tell you. But the way you watch him play and what you hear, yeah, I agree. I think he's going to try to score 35 and win. I don't think he'd, I don't think he's one of those guys that wants to score 35 and lose rather than score 15 and win. I think he does want to win, but I think he wants to do it on his terms, being the best player on the floor and doing what he does. Yeah, no doubt. I just don't get the mentality. I, I, I do, but I don't because he's, he's, he's signed his big deal. He's, you know, he's going to be um, the face of that franchise for a long time for the most part. So it's like, 
it's the Steph Curry conversation, right? When Kevin Durant joined, it's do do you lower your numbers a little bit for a better chance to win? And unfortunately, there are players out there that say no to that. Um, or the reins, do you share the reins as a star or do you share the limelight? Do you share the marketing? There's not a lot that will do that. That's why I respect Steph so much for, you know, doing that, even though they had to trade me to get Kevin. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think it's just tantamount of, of what's important to kids these days or younger players coming in the league is we, we talk about it at length. I, I want to win. Yep. I want to win coach but on my terms and that's what what throws a, a curveball in everything it's like yeah but we like i've said numerous times on this podcast is we might not need you to win on your terms or we don't think we can win on your terms because we need to involve other people and that's what we're starting to see in boston are just they had a horrible loss yesterday to, to san antonio they were out of that game early disinterested down big then they fought their way back took a nice lead and then completely squandered it late in that game to like it was a 10 or 12 2 run to san antonio now san antonio are, are by no means a great team and and boston is supposed to be for some people in the mix in the you know in the middle eastern conference um five six seven eight but they they are hard to watch right now i don't enjoy the way they're going about it they do have a rookie head coach right now. I mean, Jalen Brown's a big piece. He's been in and out of their lineup. He's finally back, but it's just not a, not a nice style of basketball. And unfortunately, as, as Jason Tatum being the, the face of that franchise, it just does not look good um, as a whole, does it? No. I mean, look, I, I know he tries to emulate Kobe Bryant and the mentality Kobe always – look, Kobe wanted to do it on his terms, no question about it. But first of all, that was Kobe Bryant. That's a lot different. But like the mentality that he had – to grind it out on the defensive end as much as he wants to shoot 30 times a night on the offensive end and do things that's conducive to winning, you know, and it's not just trying to score 40 every night. Maybe it was early in his career and he figured out he can't win that way and he had to change a little bit the way he plays. Sometimes you got to get kicked in the balls a little bit for a year or two and then figure out, you know what, I got to change. But some guys get kicked in the balls and they still want to play the same way. And it's all about scoring, you know, 30 points a night. And it's not. And he's got to figure it out, though. What does he want to do? Because he's clearly the best player on that team. He can make a bigger impact on the defensive side uh, because he's physically gifted enough to do so. But he hasn't done that yet. And he hasn't shown that he can do that yet. And he's got to figure out early shot clock of how to get easier shots for himself and his teammates and then stick to that late shot clock, late game clock realm of under seven on the clock, under seven on the shot clock to take those tougher shots. You know, well, he that's takes the one those ones I, early, pro. That's that's what I see. Yeah, like, he does. That's the thing. Yeah, you throw it to a star player late in the shot clock, and they shoot a long two contested or a bad shot analytically, whatever. You get it. You, but but what I see from him is. Yes. It seems like on some catches, he's made up his mind that he's shooting no matter what. I'm shooting this ball. No I doubt. I don't care if they send a double. I'm going to spin away from it and shoot a fadeaway. And that's what I noticed um, in numerous games that I've watched with Boston is, is he's got his mind made up. And as a star player that, that you know moves the needle for your team, that might mean a nine-assist night sometimes. Um, and the other point, yeah, defen- defensively, he just he's really bad. Like he's not – No effort. Yeah, at no all. Effort. And he's And he has, no. he has all the tools like to be a – there's no excuse why he's not an average defender. And probably you could even say above average defender. Elite, probably, you know, it's, it's hard to be an elite defender and elite offensive scorer player, right? But mm-hmm. there's no mm-hmm. excuse for him to be. I'd say he's in the, he's, he's, he's bottom, towards the bottom of, of, of star guards, what they bring defensively, because he's just, you know, at times he gets lost on the weak side. He's not up and in his man. But then he'll have a possession where he'll, he'll show us what he can do, but it'll be one out of one out of 10 possessions, right? And you're just like, man, like if you just brought an iota of that, they would improve 
just based on that, you know, because Jalen Brown's not a, not a, not a horrible defender. Um, they've got some shot blockers down there, in Williams. So yeah, I totally agree with all that. But I just don't, I just don't see Boston going anywhere if, if he's got that mentality long term. They're just going to be, they're going to be a middle of the park Eastern Conference team for the next five, ten years. Whoever has his ear, whoever it is, I don't know who it is. They has to talk to him and tell him, look, like let's try to change up a little bit when you get two on the ball instead of taking that cha 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 step back three contested. When you get two on the ball early, set the table early. And that's what Co- like Kobe, that's how he wanted to do it later in his career. You know, especially in 2010, set the table to Gasol, set it to, you know, set it to Fisher, set it to, you know, Odom and get easy shots early game. This way, then late game, you could then be that guy that takes the tougher shots later in the clock and things, but set the table and, you know, try to figure out your early shot clock shots and try to take 65 to 70% of those early shot clock shots as marginally to uncontested as possible, and then save the late shot clock, late game clock to your contested shots, which you're going to get. You're never going to get a game filled of non-contested shots. You're too good. But you got to change the way you do it. And that's what I did for Kobe. And, and he saw that. He said, look, I saw that a little bit, but it's good to see it. Like in 09, when he had a Reza, when, when he would drive baseline on the left side, there'd be four motherfuckers on him, eight set, four, you know, eight fucking hands all on him. And he's still trying to take shots instead of giving it to a Reza in the corner. Gasol spaced out, you know, Odom cut into the basket and then getting that early. And then that's less pressure on him. And then he could save his energy for later in the game. But if he keeps playing like this, they're going to be a marginal team. You know, they're going to be a marginal team. And he's going to be that guy that scores 25 a night and wins 37 games. And so what the fu- how the fuck are you going to do that, you know? Especially in Boston. That's a winning town, you know. Yeah. That, that can only work for so long until they, you know, they want your head, essentially. Like, hey, we, we need to start winning some games. But, um, yeah, just an interesting tidbit on Tatum. Fantastic player, but I think I think he's he's scratching the surface of what he can do on a nightly basis. All right, let's move on to the, the fun topic of the round. Um, <laughs> huh. NBA and social justice, bro. So, look, I haven't followed this case that much. You'd probably know more than me. It's around the, the, the Rittenhouse um, verdict. I found this interesting because – you don't often see a sporting body putting out statements in regards to, you know, essentially federal. It was a federal lawsuit, right? The statement goes like this: Obviously, Kyle Rittenhouse was was the gentleman that um, took a gun down to the to the riots down there in Wisconsin a couple of years ago during the, I think it was a Jacob Blake sh- shooting, uh, officer shooting back then. That's a whole separate issue. Um, he took a gun down, and I think he, you know, he, he shot a few people. I believe murdered one. He was on trial for murder, and um, yeah. Anyway, there was there was some debate around why he was there, why he took a gun out to, to go there. That's a whole separate thing, separate debate. But he got he got uh, deemed innocent, has walked out unscathed. Um, NBA put out a statement saying, "Our thoughts with the families of those lives who were taken in this strategy. The right to peacefully protest is a bedrock of our democracy, and the National Basketball Social Justice Coalition remains committed to preserving that right for all. Any forms of vigilantism." our society are unacceptable like i said i'm not here to debate whether he was innocent or guilty i'm not here to debate any of that stuff that's for for everyone to decide my issue is they're basically saying that the you know the the feds and the law is wrong um and that's an interesting one for a sporting league pro i don't know what your thoughts are about it yeah i mean obviously the the players themselves have strong thoughts on social justice so obviously free speech if players want to speak up about it that's that's on them but as a league, I think with your constituents, your, you know, your fans and your following, 
I think a majority, I can't speak for everyone, but I would say a majority over 50% of the people that watch and tune into your league just want, just want to see basketball. And I think as a league, if you take a stance either way on, on, on any of these sort of social justice stances, you just sort of turn a, a big percentage of your people off. And I think that, look, if it, like I said, the players want to say it, that's fine. It's sort of like an organization, right? Like if your players are saying it, look, you can't stop your players from saying it. But if you have a coach or a general manager or president and in, in now your owner, you look and you're like, wait a minute, like I, I don't think it's good for business to be doing this. It's it's a little bit different. I just think the players, if they want to, if they whatever they want to say, let them say it, you know. But like as an organization, you might as well just stay out of it, right? But probably so many of the players want to speak on it. Probably the league felt as though they wanted to speak on it. I don't think it's right. I think you stay out of it. But what are you going to do? That's the NBA's mo, you know, for a while now. So that's the way they're going to. This roll. is different to. This is different to. I'm all for the league speaking out about blatant racism or sexism or something that's that's mm-hmm. clearly blatant. I've got no issue with that. But this is. Clearly a divisive topic. Um, some people agree with the verdict, some don't. Some people say, why well, was a kid um, taking out, you know, uh, what was it, an AR-15 or whatever he had down in the street? Some people are like, well, he has every right to because they were burning down his town. So there's, there's arguments aside. For the NBA to have a voice on this is just interesting because, yes, the players in the league are, are more sided towards the message they put out. But fans, uh, even outside of fans, you can't. You're basically, you're basically, I don't know if you're saying, you'd say you're inciting, but you're basically saying the law got it completely wrong because of racism or or whatever reason, social yeah. justice reasons. That can that can somewhat incite, bro. You know what I mean? That's that's why I found it interesting yeah. because the NBA has a huge voice that's worldwide, not just not just in the US and, and different cities in the US. It's, it's, it's people listen to what they say. It could be about social justice issues. It could be about what kind of hat to wear. People follow. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a trend. It's a. A fashion accessory, it's a uh, political causes, whatever it is. Like the NBA is very influential in society, uh, and that's just my concern. Is that that reading through that, it's basically saying our justice system got it wrong. Hashtag burn it down, and that that's when you you know you somewhat have issues. And like I said, I'm not here to debate whether you think happened what happened was right or wrong. For the listeners out there, I want to be quite quite clear. I don't you know I, that's a separate topic, not for a basketball podcast, but. I just think for a basketball league to be putting out statements like that, are they going to do this for every case now in the federal court, you know, or everyone tried for murder? Are they going to, you know what I mean? And that's that's when you have people rightfully saying hypocrisy, oh, where's your comments now? Now, this is going to continue on now. In a year's time, there's going to be another trial for someone else that's got nothing to do with the NBA. And people are going to be like, hey, NBA, what do you think? You know, like, <laughs> and it's like that's where, you, that's where you, I totally agree with you. Just keep it to sport. Players want to do it. If it's a, if it's a cause that's genuine and pretty unison, I get it. Like I said, blatant racism, discrimination, sexism, cough, cough, fax passports, you know, all that kind of stuff. Voice your concerns. But yeah, this one, I think they uh, they should have just sat this one out. Yeah, you just open yourself up to a lot of hypocrisy down the road, like you just said. And you made a great point with that. And look, if, you, if you're going to stand up to this one, now you got to stand up to all of them. And that's what most people think, right? Like, if you're going to be... You know, if you're going to be big into something, you're going to make this big stink about something and you're, and you're going to put your, you know, your feet in the ground and be like this, you know, this is where we are with this. And then something else comes out and something else comes out and something else comes out. And it could be reverse. It could be, you know, it could be reverse of what happened with the Rittenhouse deal. And, you know, what are you going to do then? And then if you, if you're quiet, people are going to call you out. Uh, I'll, uh, you know, Ennis Cantor and LeBron James and whoever else. So it's like, Never ending. Um, I, 
Yeah, it's never-ending. So you might as well just stay out of it. Let your your players talk. They've got billions of people that listen to them on social media. If they want to speak about it, let them do it. But as a league, I just think you just stay out of it. You know, you're representing the league. The players, they're representing the league, but mostly they're representing themselves, like their, their own brand or whatever you want to call it. The league is representing the league. So as the league, you just might as well stay out of it. Let these guys, they're going to they they're gonna have the same type of thoughts you do. Let them do it. But you as a league, just stay out of it. But hey, look, man, well, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Interesting one. We'll, we'll continue to watch that space and – Make sure NBA gives comment on a weekly basis about different uh, justice trials <laughs> around the world. That'll be interesting. Crowds sure. are down, pro. Crowds are down. Our guy Strauss has got it again. He was right. He told us this weeks ago in a little group chat and we're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Official numbers are out. They're not pretty. So I've got some numbers here for you, pro. I'm just going to read out the top five down crowds sure. in NBA currently. So Oklahoma City from 18, nine, these are all from 2018, 19 compared to now. So a lot of people obviously the coronavirus plays a part, but we're looking at this season right now where there's not really restrictions going to games besides some arenas have a Vax passport mandate or, or, a, or a test mandate. Oklahoma City, 18,200. They're down to 13,600. So massive, massive drop down there. They obviously do suck, but that doesn't help. Indiana, 16,800 down to 13,100. Detroit, so all generally small markets, 16,400 down to 13,300. Sacramento, 17,000 down to 14,200. And San Antonio rounds that out. Now, San Antonio is an interesting one because they usually draw a crowd, good or bad, but 18,300 to 15. The closest kind of uh, the least amount of drops or rises. Brooklyn's actually risen from 1819. Now, a big part of that is the roster they've got together compared to then to now. They're, they're up to 16,500, so they've gained, you know, uh, 15, 1,600 odd fans. But the, the rest is pretty meager. I mean, Chicago, they've gained 600 fans. Um, Boston, they've gained roughly the same. So there's a lot of more than half the league is, is losing fans and some at a, you know, 20 or 30% capacity. So do you think that's just down to coronavirus? Do you think it's down to, I think there's a mix of things. I think some of those smaller cities I think money's an issue in some of those smaller markets, especially the Midwest. You look at Oklahoma City, or not so much Midwest, but Southwest, uh, Oklahoma City, Indiana, Detroit, Sacramento, San Antonio, Orlando, they're in the top six. They're all small cities. So people's purses are probably a bit lighter with everything going on, losing their job, less hours. But the coronavirus is obviously a play. But um, do you see it as simple as that or do you think there's other, other factors at play? It's probably other factors at play at a small percentage, I think, style of play. I think social justice stuff that's come up, you know, in the last few years, that that has a lot to do with it. But the most to do with it is going to be economic. It's going to be pandemic related. But I think some of it, you know, I think you you talk to people, I talk to regular friends that are fans of the league and they don't – they. Some of them don't like the social justice stuff and they poke their nose in that, but a lot of it's going to be style of play that's just not fun anymore. You know, the threes, the, you know, no, no really, no one really cares until the playoffs, things like that. Um, but I think a lot of it's pandemic. I think a lot of it's financial. And then uh, the rising costs of the league, even before pandemic stuff. I mean, a regular family, it's tough. Like you don't see a lot of regular families sitting anywhere close to down low. You know, it's, it's all corporate. It's all richer people. It's all, you know, so it's tougher for regular families to get out. I think you went, I think you mentioned it last week or the week before where it's like 600 bucks to take a family of four, you know, give or take with parking and tickets and, you know, soda or whatever and getting food and stuff. It's a, it's a big investment. It's but I think pandemic. Yeah, it's an expensive exercise yeah. in NBA game. But there are some teams that are, you know, they're losing money. Um, it's no secret because they make a lot of their money on the gate. 
Um, obviously, the TV deals and the marketing that all gets split up in basketball related income that gets split up to the union and to owners and to blah, 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 blah. A lot of their um, earning capacity comes from the gate and some of these teams, even Golden State, that's an interesting one to me. They're down. They're down from 19.5 to, to roughly 18,000 in a new arena, in a bigger city. And winning games and they're down. That's that's kind of that was their most head scratching one out of all of these. The Clippers are down as well, but then the Clippers, the Golden State to be in the top fifteen was was a head scratcher to me, bro, because I thought for sure new shiny arena. They actually they're first right now. They're winning a lot of games. There's arguments to be made. Imagine they imagine this was a similar season to what they had a couple of seasons ago. You know, if they're at eight, if there was fifteen hundred a night, that could be even worse. So that was an interesting one. But yeah, I think it's a mix of things. Pandemic hasn't helped. People are, are less inclined probably to go out now um, with still variants out out there to be reported. Um, people might have got used to the home life and spending more time at home. As, as crazy as that sounds, they're probably just too lazy to be, I'm, not, I'm just going to stay home and watch it on TV. So the social justice stuff's definitely a factor because whether you like it or not, the NBA has teams in, in red and blue areas, quote unquote, you know, Republican or Democrat areas. So some people are pro, let's say right now, some people are anti. That will definitely alienate people. Style of play pro, I mean- People talk about this a lot. How, you you can't really fix style of play right now, can you? Is, is this going to be? No. Is this? Do you think this is going to be forever NBA? Three and you know, get as many threes up as you can because they can't really change anything. What are they going to do? Move the three out another four feet? Like what's the what's the change to try and get it back to not hoisting up fifty threes a game? The fix is Cleveland winning a championship with three big guys. You know what I'm saying? It, it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like somebody it's somebody changing. And you know how it is a copy. It's a copycat league and the way they win with it. Look, with Boston, right? When Boston won it in a way, you know, they were blue and nice and not a lot of teams did that. A lot of guys were showing up, picking rolls, letting a guy go through, you know, from side picking rolls, letting him go middle. Now everything's a down and an ice because of Tom Thibodeau when he was an assistant so there. For context, for context, an ice or a, or a blue is when there's a side pick and roll, the big man will set, uh, sorry, will call out blue or ice, meaning that he's, the guard needs to send the ball handler to the sideline down to the baseline and the big guys kind of off the screen in a pack position that's what that's what just to give a bit of color to our listeners that's what a blue or an ice is and you usually do that with a big that's setting the screen that's a non-shooter if it was a shooter you'd be in some trouble because the, the guard would just string you out and throw it back to the pick and pop but that's what pro's talking about go ahead bro yeah no and, and they just want to copycat it and then uh, now everybody had to do that you know going from 09 on everybody had to play that way and then phoenix started playing with four out one in instead of playing with two prototypical bigs they spread the floor with you know four perimeter players and amari stoudemire throwing wops so now everybody thought okay you know we're gonna we're gonna go less and less from like 2010 and on there was a lot less power forwards that posted up and more stretch forwards that and now everybody had to play that way and then the analytical stuff came in and that's just the way it is because it's easy to sell to an owner or to a general manager. Look, three points are worth more than two. You know, it's going to be better offense. And that's what everything's geared towards offense anyway. All the rules, foul rules are not are non thereof, you know, lack thereof. It's all about the offense. And they want to score more points and they think it's more exciting dunks, three point shots, and all that. So I think it's going to take somebody winning, playing a lot differently, and then everybody copying. But I think that's a big, uh, a big thing. And then to go back to your point with the variant stuff with Golden State, obviously there wasn't a variant in that Louis Vuitton store or that Nordstrom that 800 people fucking ransacked in, um, in, San, in San Francisco <laughs> last week. I got a friend yeah, that lives in downtown. Got a friend that lives in downtown San Francisco, and he just said it's it's just not good. Like it's you, you almost want to be 
in, in a high rise on the 20th floor is your safest place because you leave anything on the street, any shop fronts that have windows exposed, and it's the cops don't even bother because they're just like, if we get to that one, by the time we even get to that one, there's 500 other, other break-ins in the area, and you're just like, man, like what is going on down there? I was shocked, Bogues, because like, I never sac- – uh, San Francisco was a city before I joined the Mavericks I've never, I've never been to. So, I was shocked when we say in the St. Rita, probably the best hotel in the NBA by far – and St. Regis, yeah. St. Regis, I'm sorry, Rita. St. Regis, yeah. And like, I was excited to like walk around San Francisco and I was fucking shocked. And this is way before pandemic or, you know, George Floyd, any, anything like that. And I was I, like, I didn't want to go out. Like, I, I, I took a couple of trips down to the bay and, you know, in the piers and stuff, but like, the homeless, the people that, you know, that try to fuck, to fuck with you, like, it's not a city I enjoy. I enjoy the climate. I enjoyed sort of driving around it, going to restaurants and things. But like, I didn't really like being there. It's a, it's not a really likable town like that. Uh, surprising enough because of so many nice things to see and things. I just didn't like it. And, you know, I love being in LA. I don't like being sacked. I really don't like being in San Fran. And now everything's been escalated with all the stuff that's happening. And with the looting and the, you know, like everybody going nuts and the crime and, and the police not being able to do anything, that's probably got a little bit to do with that too, with their decline. And, and, you know, it's funny. I felt safer walking around the arena in Oakland than I did, than I would probably in San Francisco. Probably a stretch, but not too much of one. Yeah. Oakland cleaned up though for a while. I think it's gone, it's gone downhill though since the pandemic, but it, it really cleaned up for a while. They were really gentrifying. It was a lot going on, new restaurants popping up, and this has really set it back. But East Bay is where it's at, bro. That's where I lived. Um, so for those not familiar, you go over the Bay Bridge to Oakland and then you go through a tunnel that goes through a mountain and you get to the oh, other wow. side of that tunnel. And what was cool about it was it was, um, the climate was, so Fahrenheit, 10, 10 degrees, maybe more, 15 degrees at some days, warmer than San Francisco because this mountain created a, a protective barrier. The other side's essentially desert, right? So when I went and looked oh, at- Oh, when we went out for sushi, you were telling me about that because you you, me, you, and Brokeroff were talking. Yeah. yeah you were telling us it's that. It's insane. Like I, I, so when I first got traded out there, went and looked at some properties out there and I remember I was where, I went from the St. Regis, got a car service out to look at some properties down that way and um, I, had a, I had a big jacket on and pants. I got out there, looked at some properties, went and ate lunch and I'm like, man, like, how the hell did it get so hot? And I had no idea. I'm just a dumbass, just moved there. And someone goes, you know, it's way warmer here, right? I'm like, nah, man, whatever. You no, know, it's like 10, 15 degrees Fahrenheit, like five, six, seven degrees Celsius warmer. I'm like, nah, I'm not buying it. Go on my phone, check it out. Dude, it was like, it'd be like 85 Fahrenheit, you know, 25, 26 Celsius. And you get back to the bay and it's 17, 18 Celsius, like below below 70, like mid 60s. I was like, this is unbelievable. Sold, man, sold. Where, where do I find a house here? So I loved it there. It was, um, had its own little community called Walnut Creek, um, Alamo, all down there, kind of near the St. Mary's campus down that way and just a beautiful part of, of the bay. But um, yeah, it's kind of away from, I couldn't I couldn't live in San Francisco, constant sirens blaring. And How far is your commute, folks? How long did it take you to get out there? Well, we're in Oakland, so it wasn't too bad. The, the practice facility took me 22 minutes and the arena, you know, with traffic was about 35, 40. So I, I live with that, man, because you get home and you can, you, you know, go for a swim, you can go out go out to the park. It's not windy. Um, you're not dealing with big city problems like, like in San Francisco. So 
So you know now I know a lot of the a, a lot of our players lived in that area, right? So they they lived in the East Bay. I know Steph, Draymond. They ended up falling in love with it, and then a lot of those guys were stuck in a hard hard place when the team moved to San France. I'm not sure. I think some of them still kept their property and they just have an apartment for game days. I believe I'm pretty sure that's what some of the guys are doing. And like we were having conversations back then around like should we all just take a ferry over to the games um, from Oakland to San Fran with like a car ferry, and so we can stay in this area because it was. It's awesome living there, but um, yeah, we're not selling real estate pros. So let's move on from uh, from a real estate <laughs> talk. No doubt. Interesting note from Wendell Carter Jr. that I saw a quote on Hoops Hype, which I thought would be a good discussion. It's around the NBA is a business. Mm-hmm. The truism gets thrown around a lot, but then that trade call comes and you're living in a hotel while trying to find a more permanent accommodation and meeting new teammates and coaches, trying to remember driving directions and restaurant tips, all while trying to process emotions and play high-level basketball. It's a lot quoted when uh, said Wendell Carter Jr. standing on the magic practice court just hours before he'll face the Chicago Bulls for the second time since they traded him. He's just a acknowledging that when the easily spouted soundbite becomes a reality. The business of basketball is no joke. It was all about 30 minutes before the trade deadline. I got a call from AK and Mark Eversley, so front office there. Carter Jr. said using kind of service nickname as he recounted the March March 21 process. I was surprised at first. I didn't really know what to say. I just packed my bags and I was out. Then you start having mixed emotions. You start thinking, oh man, they didn't want me or they gave up on me. But I realized you have to think about it like this. This was a whole different management team. They didn't draft me and another team wanted me. I'm just blessed to be here. The opportunity I've had here is exciting. Um, and then he further went on and just mentioned that Vucevic was a, a big positive influence in his ear when he was with him in Orlando and all that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to note that because people forget, you know, we always quote, oh, the NBA is a business, the NBA is a business, and the average fan would have no idea what that means. But this is how brutal it is on, on two fronts. One is you get that call hey, we've traded you. You've got 48 hours most often than not to, to show up to that next city. Unless you've got a you know an injury or a real good excuse where you can talk to the team about, hey, I'm not going to be there for a week. Generally, if you're playing fit and healthy, you get traded. 48 hours to show up, they can start finding you after that for being late. They can find you game checks. So I'll give an example. I was, I was traded when I was injured, so it was a bit easier for me because I wasn't playing. But when I got traded, they still wanted me to report pretty quickly to do all the PR and the media stuff. So I basically packed a suitcase, got out of Milwaukee, left my wife in the house. Uh, we had a nice house out in the burbs, got on a plane, and then she met me there potentially, what was it, uh, a month or two later. So she had to organize packing up the whole house. I got out of all that pro, which was which was good. She had to get all the shit boxed <laughs> up, take care of all the loose ends, all the errands, close accounts, all that kind of shit. And then your stuff shows up six months later because I got to the Bay Area. I was living out of the Hotel St. Regis to the end of that season. So from March to, or February to you know, end of April, living in that place. And then the off season, then you can finally catch your bearings, locate where your shit's been stored at, find a house, sign a lease. So that's the business of basketball. You don't know anyone in that town. You don't know how to get to the facility. You don't know how to get to the arena. It does take a toll. But on top of all that, you got to play basketball. So you still have to kind of limit those distractions of being living out of a suitcase. You don't have your luxuries at home. You might've forgot your laptop, your iPad. You don't have this. You don't have that. You don't have a kitchen to cook. Um, you're in a hotel. It can become pretty hard. So that's what, it was just a cool story for someone to relay it like that. It's not as easy as people think. And then his second point was around, you know, he, that he actually clicked and understood, Hey, there's a, there's a new GM here that, that didn't want you know, didn't want me around to an extent, not because so much of my talents. He didn't draft me. He has guys that he he thinks higher of than me because he drafted him. He's got more investment in him. So I was just the odd man out. So I like those two points and just wanted to mention him for people that that hear that cliche of, of business of basketball, bro. Yeah. I mean, he's very mature in the way he sort of talked about it. Now, 
maybe he wasn't as mature when it just happened. Um, it is a surprise to everybody. It, and that's the thing that people don't understand that first of all, there's only a small percentage of players that last 10 years in the NBA that actually play. A lot of time, a lot of times they get weeded out way before that. And now the percentage of players that spend 10 or more years on one team, now you're getting into a really low number. It, it just the way the league is, you're going to be. Stat Muse, can we get a number, please? Yeah. We're going to add them. In yeah, this. do your fucking job, Stat Muse, for once. So, what do we want to know? The, over the last 10 years, we want to know what the decline's been compared to the, the previous yeah. 10 years. That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? First of all, I want to know the, the percentage of players that last 10 years or more in the NBA. And then I want to know the percentage of in the last 10 years or 15 or whatever. And then I want to know the players that lasted, say, 10 years or more in the NBA, how many teams that they played for. First of all, the percentage of people who played on one team. And then I want to know the percentage of, you know, how many, like the average number of teams a player would play for if they lasted 10 years or more. Because you're going to get traded. They're going to call your number. They're going to take you out. It just, look, guy like Steph Curry, probably not going to get taken out, obviously. He's the best player in that, you know, in that team history. Of course he's not. But there's not that many Steph Curry. And even when he doesn't play as well or gets older, he's probably a guy that has that unique ability where they, they just won't trade him under any circumstance. Probably the Dirk Nowitzki, right? Yeah. I mean, look at, yeah, no question. And look at, so, you know, if you just look at, these things and look at the players in the league and you look at guys, you know, they played on multiple teams of, of, of guys that are great players that they're going to play like James Harden, Chris Paul, you know, those guys played on different teams, you know, and th there's a bunch of other guys that you could probably talk to, you know, that are going to, that played on, that are going to play on multiple teams. And it's just the way the league is. So like I've, I've had discussions and this is a big thing in player development, talking to these young guys, like, they don't want to get married or have a serious relationship with a girl in the town because they're going to have, they don't know, like at any given moment, they're going to have to move. I remember, you know, like talking to our young guys on trade deadline when they're, they're reading their names and, you know, in the paper or online about, you know, trade, you know, being traded or whatnot. They might be traded, a lot of rumors. And it's very hard. It's hard to deal with, but that's the true business of basketball. You got to have to deal with doing your job to a high level. You know, keeping away from getting traded, released, or whatnot. And you got to continue to perform. You might even perform and still get traded. And then you got to deal with being traded, moving, taking your kids out of school, you know, moving your house, selling your house, packing your shit up. Like, it, it, it is tough, man. Like, people say, well, you're making $10 million. Oh, that's part of the reason why you make $10 million a year or $15 million a year or $7 million a year is because you're going to have to get up. You know, you're going to have to like move your shit in 48 hours and say goodbye for that city for almost probably eternity. So it's not easy. And, you know, people say, oh, they, 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 no, it's, it, it, I don't care how much money they make. And the majority of the league, like they got one foot out of the league anyway, and they got to perform. And then they got to like, say they just like was there for like a year and a half and they're finally getting rotation minutes. And then you get thrown in a trade because your money made the deal work. And now you go to a team that had four guys at your position and now you're buried. And now no one's going to see you play for the rest of the year. And now you're going to have to go through summer league again and all that bullshit. That's yeah, a lot of mental, you know, a lot of mental bullshit you got to deal with. But that, 
That's the definition of being a pro. Don't just tweet it out like you tweet out God is good or blah, blah, blah on my grind and just say basketball is a business. It just don't, you don't know what that means. Like you talked about the fans not knowing what it means. Half the league doesn't know what it means. It means you do, you show up and do your fucking job. It means that you have to deal with the pressure of getting the job done and, you know, and doing the best you can to earn as much money as you can, do the best for your team and for yourself that you can. And like, you know, and you got to ride this out as long as you can. A lot of the superstars can do it. It's not a big deal for them because they're not going to really face adversity until year seven, eight, nine, ten. But a lot of these players that are living check to check, so to speak, because they're one foot out of the league, it's a lot of shit to worry about. It's not just collecting my check, you know, having a good time. It's, you know, I got to earn my shit every day. And it's, it's tough, man. You're fighting, all, you're fighting like, you're fighting getting traded and cut and all that. It's, it's not easy. Yeah. And Steve Kerr used to make a fair point to us all the time about we're paid a, a really big salary and the public sometimes doesn't like that. But you guys aren't, aren't, aren't just paid for your basketball abilities. You're paid for your life being uprooted at the click of someone's fingers. You're paid for not being able to go in public at times. You're paid not be able to go into your groceries without, you know, someone handing you for an autograph or, or a photo or all that kind of stuff. So you're, you're, you're paid because you're giving up a lot off the court as well. And I always, that always stuck with me because I, I really thought it was true. I thought, you know, shit, like it makes sense that that's, you, you're giving up a lot. And, and some, to the average person, they might not understand that, but there are simple things that everyday people can do that athletes slash celebrities can't do you might have a bad game you might have you know let's say ben simmons last playoff series like he couldn't go to a grocery store in philly after that <laughs> go do his shopping you know and uh-huh. whether you agree on, on that game or not it's irrelevant it's like that's that's the ramifications of him having a bad game that's why he's paid so much to now deal with playing bad and that's part of his salary so speaking of ben simmons pro we'll, we'll segue into that oh boy uh, I'm just going to just put this one out there real quick. We don't need to get into it too much because we know the reasons why this happens to players. A report came out that he is close to broke, bro. Uh, <laughs> and I saw really? that. I saw that and my eyes popped. Uh, I saw that and my eyes popped. It said that uh, a new luxury car every two years, uh, every two weeks, not years, every two weeks. Um, I know he has a pretty deep uh, payroll of people that that he has under his under his um, say and go. So. I just scratched my head, bro. I mean, I hope this is not true. I hope it's just a leak from someone being being an idiot. But it was it was out there uh, last couple of days. People have equated that to um, a reason why he potentially needs to come back and play. Now, the fact that that's been leaked, I don't know if it's Philly leaking it or who. That's pretty concerning on, on a number of fronts because mental health aside or not, whether that's really an issue, which we've discussed before. If he has to come back for money reasons, that's a whole lot of pressure you're putting on yourself again. Um, if you've got mental health issues, number two, there are reports as today that he was at the arena again for their game. So maybe he's coming close, but I, I had to look up total earnings to this point. Now, you know, he's on a max deal. So he's, he's got another 150, 200 million coming in the next couple of years, the next five, six, uh, four, five years. But his total earnings to date, pro, what do you think they are? Huh, let me guess here, Bogues. First contract probably averaged about I don't know nine million thirty six million. I would guess maybe seventy five million. Oh, pretty close, eighty nine million pro, eighty nine million. Not bad. Estimated earnings to date. Mm-hmm. The fact that I, I just don't understand. Uh, I really don't. Um, I, I, I and. You know, you fault Ben obviously because it's his money. But what are you? What are the people around you doing? Like, what are you? What What is going on? You know, Rich Paul's this lauded agent. Well, I mean, geez, if if that is true, it's 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 absolutely shocking. You know, if, even after taxes, you look at that. Uh, Philly's a pretty pricey state to live in. State tax, so you'd probably say you know, cut it in half essentially. For let's say forty five million cash 
I mean, how, 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 how pro? Um, I mean, it's, it's still mind boggling. Th- thankfully, he's locked into another four years at 150 odd million. So he'll be okay. But, uh, yeah, that, that report is, is a hopefully, hopefully changes his way of, of what he's doing with his money and how he's spending it. Yeah. Boo fucking who, folks. Uh, you know, <laughs> first of all, I don't think it's true at all. Secondly, boo fucking who. I don't know. There's pro. so many, like, this ain't 20 fucking years ago. This ain't, like not a lot of uh, not a lot of information out We're there. Flying private everywhere. Those cars, you know, multiple multiple cars. But it's it's that's a side. It's it's the people on your payroll that usually fuck you. You know, yeah. if you've got a few people yeah. on four five hundred k, that goes quickly, man. It goes real quick. Yeah, but yeah, after tax. I, I hear what you're saying. But there's so much info out there, like Vin Baker, Antoine Walker, Allen Iverson, <laughs> yeah. Eddie Curry. You know, like fucking listen to this, po- like listen to the podcast. I've told you twenty eight stories of why that motherfucker was broke. You should know. You, you're talking about my brand. I'm in control of this. I'm the king. Well, you know what? Run your fucking house then. The, first of all, it's not true. It isn't true. It, there's no way. But he say it is. It, that that's on him. That's that's his fault. I hope it's not true. I hope it's not true, bro. I hope it's not. But nothing, nothing. The stuff that usually surprises you is the stuff that's the most true in the NBA. That's kind of what I've learned in the past. Something that you drop, drops your jaw, like, no, this is this is not possible. I'm doing the math here. Forty-five million cash, five years in the league, nine million cash. You know, I heard if, if you sell a bronze medal from the Olympics, it's worth 125k. But we know how that goes, so we won't be doing that anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, let's let's just hope. Uh, let's hope it's not true. Anyway, all right. Dante Exum, this was another strange one. This was broken by Matt Logue, Australian um, journalist, covers the NBA and and whatnot. Um, He said that Dante Exum's training with the Warriors Pro, but get this, not with the squad. He's just there to play five on five, and he's a main rehab partner for Clay. Have you heard of this before? I've never heard of anything anything gone this way before. It's very, very strange. So I assume, I think Dante's probably got some connections there through his agency just to get a court, get access, be based in California, which isn't. But the fact that he's not even training with a team, that he's just there... Basically, as a rehab partner for for Clay, he's pretty interesting. Never never really heard of this before. I haven't heard of it either, but it just makes sense. Like, look, if you're just hanging out, you know, you want to get on a team. The team lets you work out. You never know. You know, just 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 stay ready. You're you're you know, look out of sight, out of mind, right? So you're right there in the facility working out. You know, people start getting to know you. You know, you never know what's gonna happen. Probably has enough money to chill for the year anyway. Yeah, it's pretty smart, to be honest with you. It's better than working out at a Lifetime Fitness, tweeting out fucking, putting on Instagram your workouts. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're actually at an NBA team. You might as well fuck around and, and you never know. Like somebody could go down. They might not need to make a move. That's pretty smart in his deal. Yeah, just one I haven't heard of before. It's not it, if it's. I mean, if it's done, it's not usually reported. You know what I mean? It's usually kept quiet. Um, but yeah, the fact that it was reported, just an interesting one, Dante Exum. So I think he gets picked up eventually. Uh, like I'm a big fan of his. As far as like I said, I think he can do a whole lot worse from your ten to fifteen on your roster. I'm surprised he hasn't been yet. But an injury away, maybe maybe Memphis comes calling. There's another ball hammer now with John Moran out for a couple of weeks. Who knows? But I think you'll get um, another job. Hey, bro, you, quick question for you: Have you got a uh, OnlyFans account? I don't. Uh, although for Krispy Kreme, I do. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine a month. I I actually subscribe to it. They give me twenty second videos of how they how the donuts get made. <laughs> but no, I don't have an OnlyFans amount. I don't have one either. But apparently, um, we'll give a shout out to to Liz Cambridge. She's um launched a, an OnlyFans account pro. So if you want to see some. Really? Yes, yes, yes. The WNBA paycheck just not cutting it, pro. So got to find um different different revenue streams. I heard she um. 
for 33% off, I heard the Nigerian national team, could t- you know, since one third, since one third, they, uh, they get one third off her account. I didn't know that though. That's, that's pretty interesting. Breaking news on Rogue Vogues. The Nigerian national team gets a discount. One third. Maybe that, that, that's the olive branch that'll do it. That's the olive branch that'll do it, bro. But uh, yeah. for, for our listeners out there, stop tweeting me the OnlyFans link. I don't want to see that shit. Please stop. Sending it to they me. They tweeted it to you? Oh, man. I'm getting all kinds of shit sent to me, dude. <laughs> I woke up yesterday like I'm getting links to the account. Someone sent me one of the first videos. I noted before I I saw a snippet of it before I ate breakfast, thankfully, pro. So, it's, it's like, uh, I mean, it's not just for fans to, I know why people have OnlyFans accounts, obviously. Like, is it like that? Like borderline X rated, or is it just talking and like putting out videos, talking and shit, and people no, can I, like tune I, in? I don't have an OnlyFans account, um, contrary to probably people's belief out there. But uh, the video that I saw, the, the few seconds of it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was R rated, but I definitely wouldn't say it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was for teenagers. So flaunt it while you got it, I guess. Some people like it, some people don't. Good luck to her. Hopefully, she makes some cash from it and and subsidizes that uh, that WNBA paycheck. But I thought it'd be. You know, I should mention that as we're big fans of Cambridge on this show. All right, last thing NBL-wise. So, the preseason's in a bit of a shambles, Pro. We've got we've got uh, numerous teams with COVID. Oh, jeez. It didn't help that the, the preseason was moved. The, the preseason blitz for a few of the teams, uh, preseason tournament games, was moved to a city that had the highest case numbers. That probably was not the best decision by the NBL, but it ended up running pretty smoothly. But then the Illawarra Hawks have had a bunch of staff uh, come up with, with COVID. They are now um, essentially put into 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 the protocol based on their state government, which is New South Wales. I think they can't train, I think, for at least seven days, I've read, which is you know, pretty crazy considering the season starts next next week. Question for you, Pro. This is probably above our scope. We're not we're not we're not uh, doctors or scientists, but uh, Jeremy Lowliger, who is the uh, what is he now? His title changed a few times. You know, CEO, president. Um, you know, of the NBL. Only in October stated the NBL was at a ninety nine percent vaccination rate. 99%. I'd gamble now they've hit that 1% in the next two months because I know they put they were making it pretty hard for anyone that didn't want to uh, have the vaccination because of state regulations. My question is, Pro, they're, they're at 100% vax rate. Shouldn't we just be, shouldn't they be getting on with it to an extent? I mean, you know, I know they interact with fans and that argument, but I don't know what the rhetoric is there, Pro. I don't know if you follow it too much around around your politicians, but over here, there's a, there's a big uh, stigma saying, basically, once you're vaccinated, you're safe, everything's good, you'll be fine. And once everyone's vaccinated, we can get on with life. Well, the NBL's pretty much at 100% and cannot get on with life. So I'm, I'm not sure. There's there's some some interesting times ar- around the world, but yeah, I just thought that was noteworthy to mention that they're at, you know they're at 100% and they're getting they're getting locked down still. It doesn't um doesn't put us in the best place for the rest of the world, does it? No. If I could listen to Jim Brewer's circus music, I wish I could because the whole fucking thing is a circus, man. There's a million people doing a million different ways to deal with this stuff and you know, it never seems to work out, folks. It seems to be just more, you know, you just fucking circle in the fucking circle in the fucking circus wagon one more time. It's a, it's a complete shit show. But it sucks that they uh, that they got shut down like that. Yeah, uh, just a week out. Yeah, that's out. a problem for them. It's, I mean, it's good for the Kings when we play them. Um, but yeah, a week out of season definitely dis- that disrupts everything you're doing. We hope everyone gets healthy. Um, I know it's a shitty time for everyone around the world. New variant coming out too, Pro. It just it just got released. Hot off hot off the mic. <laughs> so be careful for that. Jesus that Christ. That new variant. Shocker. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, that, this one they said it's really going to be just two weeks to flatten the curve. So we'll, we'll see how that one goes. But yeah, the NBL, a bit of a bit of a curveball. It's going to, I mean, we've talked about this at, you know, for numerous podcasts that um, they're going to have to just continue to pivot and have plan B, C, D, and E. Um, they're not in the luxurious position of the NBA where they can fly private and really overdo the security and the protocol that their budget is strung with all that. And they're, they're really at the detriment of, of state government. So we hope the season can go ahead the best of its ability which starts next weekend um, we'll watch that space and just quickly the i'll be doing a preview of the nbl season with john casey who was a co-commentator with me the channel 7 olympics knows his stuff pro really good at pronouncing names so made me look like an absolute idiot um, when we're pronouncing a few of those nbl names especially the, the chinese players which i completely screwed up but happy to put my hand up that will be a separate episode this podcast obviously is, is live now that you're listening to but there'll be a, an episode that you can get to after this if you want to specifically go to the nbl so keep a lookout for that stats pro useful or useless you ready sure why not all right the Warriors are 16 and 2 or better through 18 games for the fourth time in team history. They reached the finals each of the previous three times. All four instances have come from the, since the 14 15 season. Useful or useless? Uh, it's useful for sure. Mm -hmm. Useful for sure. I mean, hot start. It goes to show you a hot start like this. I mean, again, I like to, you know, I like to figure things out a little later on in the season, but you start, you start this hot. Um, I, I could definitely see, you know, 16 and two over the first 18. Not many teams that go 16 and two over the first 18 are going to, you know, are going to bow out in the first round of the playoffs. So I think it, it definitely talks about longevity throughout the, throughout the whole season for teams that could start out this hot. The difference between going 10 and, you know, 10 and eight or 11 and seven and going 16 and two. And I think that that puts you at a high level. You know, God forbid the only thing that's going to be stopping them is injury or something like that. So what do you think, folks? I think it's useful. Yeah, useful for sure. Even more useful considering what we said, Wiseman and Clay Thompson coming back from injury will shore up their lineup. Um, Clay will be a big minute guy once it comes playoff finals time. Wiseman will be a 20 odd minute guy in that rotation, which will help them too. So I'm excited to see how much better they can get. That's that's a scary thing. You know, if this was their full squad right now at 16 and 2, still useful, but this is uh, useful on steroids. So exciting times for the Warriors. Next one, we haven't really spoken about this guy at all on the podcast, so it was good to get him in. Here's the stat. Opponents are shooting 34.9% when guarded by Denny Avdia, the lowest mark in the league by any player with 150 plus shots defended. That's a 9.1% lower percentage than the opponent's normal field goal percentage. Also the best mark in the league. The Wizards have the fifth best defensive rating in the NBA. Useful or useless, bro? I think it's pretty useful. Um, I think it's pretty useful if, you, if you're looking at shooting percentages of players that he's defending. Now, you don't know the situations in which, you know, these guys are getting shots against him. But, I mean, through this amount of games and that many reps that he's getting um, defensively to have that number, I think that I think it's semi-useful for sure. Um, he, you know, he had a big injury last year that sort of limited his play. So, it's good to see that he's, you know, he's been a little bit of a disappointment scoring the ball, you know, scoring and all that. So it's good that he's actually showing value in the league, doing some other things. I don't think defense was something that people thought about when they they, they mentioned his name. So I, I say it's useful. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. I, that that was the one thing when I saw that name, I was like, "What <laughs> is this right?" Because he's not known. He's not known as a defender, and it's just good to see he struggled offensively. He's had his ups and downs in the NBA at that end, and he's found an, another niche, another mark where you know he can live up to his offensive prowess that he was drafted for. But the fact that he's doing something this—that's an elite level 
uh, defender, and it's 150 plus shots defended. So it's not a not off a small sample size. So I like that number. I want to mention it just because that exact reason. Didn't know he was that good of a defender. To be honest, haven't watched a lot of their games. So I, I, you know, it really was a shocking stat. So I definitely say that's useful. Last one, Reggie Jackson t- took two shots in overtime. Both shots were wedgies pro. What the fuck is a wedgie? You know when the ball gets wedged in the rim of the backboard and gets stuck. Oh, shit. Okay, got it. So, two of those shots were wedgies. Both his shots, sorry. You know, T were wedgies. We're 99.9999% sure that was the first time it's ever happened in NBA history. That's from StatMuse, bro. Useful or useless? It's a useful stat from a useless fucking shot. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, fuck. it's funny. You you take- Yeah, it's a funny funny stat for sure. StatMuse finally did their fucking job, you know, (laughs) in a while. I haven't heard from them. So yeah, the old this wedgie. is good. The old wedgie. Put a cartoon cut out of that fucking wedgie. So, but no, I think it's good. I think it's a, uh, it's a funny, it's a funny useful. Yeah. It's not useful in this, in the fact of analytics and HBob will be mad at us probably because it's not an analytical stat that you can use, but uh, a bit of a laugh. Two wedgies in an overtime is hard to do. You know, if, even if you tried pro, if you try to shoot from outside, the, you know, outside of 10 feet and wedgie it, you'd, you'd, you could shoot sometimes for- 10, 20, 30 minutes without without it happening. So to happen twice in overtime is pretty impressive. So credit to Reggie Jackson there. All right, what do you got? Fact or fake news? Folks, Anthony Edwards. I think the world has seen that dunk. Uh, Anthony Edwards' dunk. A charge should not have been called. Fact or fake news? Oh, man, this is a, a really hard one because there's, there's, there's numerous debates. I think... I don't know. I saw Nate Duncan made a comment saying that um, they need to they need to extend. You know, if someone can get dunked on from that far out, they need to extend the charge circle. And I, I, I replied and said, "Well, shit, with some of these athletes in the NBA, that's pretty much the whole paint <laughs> to the free throw line, and your block's probably going out another three or four feet on each side. So then you've got a, a pretty big charge circle. But the rule is, if he's outside, it's a charge. But I think for a play like that, I would just leave it at a, at a no call. So I would say fact it should not have been called um a, a little bit controversial because i'd be usually that guy taking the charge but uh i don't like guys sliding under neither last minute he was there first by a mill, you know millisecond but something dangerous can happen if god forbid um edwards didn't reach the rim on that and was was a foot short he would have fallen on his head or his neck um, but that's what the rules done and it kind of makes you slide under at times if you're there first and yeah, I don't know. I, I would let that one go if I was a ref and just be. I don't know. Get up, get up, charge guy. Get up, Edwards. Get get back down the court and, and move on. What do you think? I don't think there's enough division in the world, so I think that should have been. I say fake news. It should have been a charge called because I think more people should just be pissed off. So <laughs> I think that that it should be. And who the fuck is Nate Duncan to say shit anyway? So I'm gonna go against it because Nate Duncan said the, the one way. I'll go the other. I'm saying it's. Uh, I'm saying fake news on this one. Fair enough. Folks, the Lakers not doing very well. All right. There's um shocker. There was a, a report today. I think Real GM had it. Maybe somebody else had it first, but I, I read it on Real GM's Twitter page, a uh, Twitter account, that Frank Vogel's on the hot seat. Fact or fake news that Frank Vogel deserves to be on the hot seat? I would say fake news. Um, I think Rob Palinka deserves to be on the hot seat. That is a, a roster that had problems on it from day one that we we discussed. The age, I remember reading out the average age of that roster for our preseason previews and it, it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't 
you can look on paper and be like, look, they're going to win games because they're talented. They, they'll win games strictly off LeBron's bat, strictly off Westbrook's and, and strictly off ADs on, on, on random nights, right? But from a cohesive, fluid point of view, I, I just don't like the roster. I don't think it's built to – that's not a championship roster. It might be a fringe playoff. Uh, maybe they get to a playoff series and get lucky in maybe, maybe round one, the first round. But their peak is second round with this roster if they even get there. I think fake news. I don't think it's Vogel's fault. I think he's got them a championship, which – Arguably wasn't with the best roster neither, um, AD and LeBron, but that was I think that was a much better roster um, than what they've got now. So I don't I don't put that blame to Vogel. I put it to Palinka. So that's my spiel, folks. Fake fucking news because that team is disastrous, and regardless of the roster versus not, the Sacramento fucking Kings, I had like fighting for day like daylight. They they needed in overtime, a triple overtime, right? Did they go triple overtime last night? Double. Double. The game goes overtime, multiple overtimes. They needed thirty from LeBron, twenty three from Davis. All right, twenty nine from Westbrook. They got twenty from Monk, and they still lost. They got about twelve home games. You know their record is a very very average 10 and 11 right now. They're at seventh place. Most of their games have been home. Out of 21, they got 12 at home. And then like the teams, they haven't haven't like they haven't even played anybody great yet, like on a consistent basis. And it's not his fault, but he's gonna get blamed for it. You know, if they keep struggling, he's not gonna be coaching that team come January, February. He won't be coaching that team if it keeps going this way. Because they got to blame somebody. And they're not going to blame LeBron. They're not going to blame Anthony Davis. They might blame a little bit of Westbrook. But, like, somebody's going to have to take the fall. And it's not going to be Polinka. It's going to be, you know, Frank Vogel, unfortunately. Frank Vogel's a good coach. But let's be honest. No coach, no coach is going to, you know, really take them to much better than they got now. They got three guys that, like, they revolve everything around. And then the rest of the team, they really, really can't give them much. And, you know, it's not his fault. I don't give a fuck about how many tricky plays he run, you know, all this stuff. It's not. It's just they can't guard anybody. They don't have shooting. You know, they got multiple guys. They got three or four guys that need the ball in their hands at all times. You know, probably the best, you know, Carmelo Anthony's probably the best surprise in that whole roster. And they just can't get it done. And it's not Frank Vogel's fault, but he's going to take the blame for it. And that's just how the league works. And... You know, it sucks because I just don't see them squeezing out wins anymore, both. I don't. Like, I don't see where this is going to – I don't think – I don't see where this is going to end well for them. Ninth, tenth, maybe out of the playoffs. It's ugly. I just don't see how they're going to – like. It's ugly. Yeah. And you're right. It was three overtimes, actually. I, 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 um, I was watching that game, so I should have known. But, yeah, I checked it. I thought it was double. But just outworked possession. They gave up two or three straight offensive rebounds. In an overtime, in a tight game, it just seems like they go ISO to LeBron. Westbrook tries to go up in transition, pull it out, give it to LeBron, give it to AD, ISO. And, you know, they really miss um, Caruso. They really miss a few of those really good defenders they had on the wing. I just don't – you know, Melo's been great for them, but they're – I think they're one of the worst off uh, defensive teams at the moment. Uh, I read a stat the other day that they've, they've played – the the teams they've played um, have been on the lower end of, of – uh, 
offensive, you know, of scoring percentage and whatnot and being a strong offensive team. And they're struggling with those teams. And like you said, their uh, schedule is about to heat up. They're going to get some good teams coming into town. Maybe that kicks them up the ass a little bit. Who knows? Um, but they got lucky to get that, that Indiana game as well. So they could be in a lot worse situation, but they've got enough talent to tread water. But yeah, I, don't, I can't, I can't blame Frank Vogel for that. He's got you a chip as well just recently, but who knows, man? Maybe, maybe worldwide Wes is going to take over the head coaching spot there, pro. I don't know, man. They, they need world something. They need, they need world peace or something. They might get world peace before they make the playoffs. So I don't know what the fuck they got going on there. Possibly. Uh, Bogues, last one. You know, we talked to Giddy about Giddy a lot on this, but, he, you know, 20 games in or so, 18 to 20 games into the season. Fact or fake news, Josh Giddy is your rookie of the year as of today. Oh, as of today. I think fake news as of today. Um, I think he's got a chance, though. Um, he's finally cracked the five which is good because they were hating on him for a while. He wasn't even in there. Right now they have um, Barnes at one, Mobley two, Cunningham three, Giddy four. I think he's got a chance. I, I think he will scrape into that top three before season's end, and I think it's anyone's game. You know, all it, all you need is an injury to somebody, and, and, and it can go a different way. But, I mean, Scotty Barnes – He's looking good right now um, in a system where he's going to play minutes. And, and the thing with all these rookies, is for the most part, is they, they're playing. They're going to play a lot of minutes. Um, so they get, they're all going to get their opportunity. But Josh is really his last month is or last sorry last two weeks has been really impressive. Um, his rookie year in general has been impressive. But his passing abilities we knew was great, but it's starting to really, really show because of the floor spacing in the NBA. The NBA was a little bit different. He couldn't really show it as much because it was a shrunken floor zone, all that bullshit. So he's really proven that that he can he can be a really big playmaker for him. And and like I said at the start, he, he, the be all and end all for him is if he's knocking down the three at a respectable rate, which he is currently, he's ceiling so much higher because I thought honestly the three would take him a couple of years to figure out to this to this level that he's shooting now where the teams would start going under with him, they disrespect him, they dare shoot him for threes. I thought they'd go to that route. Um and they have and he's knocked them down. And big ones too. He's knocked down some some big threes late in fourth quarters to keep them in a game or tie the game or put them up too. So yeah, he's really impressed me. I, I don't think he's gonna be rookie of the year if I had to call it today, but I think he'll be I think he'll be in the top three. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say fact. I'm going to say fact. For now, like you said, they're going to ramp him up. He's played really well in limited sort of – not limited minutes, but not really showcasing him because they got SGA there. They've got other guys, you know, they're trying to push. I think obviously – I don't think there's any looking back. If he could knock on wood, if he could stay healthy the whole year. You know, you know how guys get banged up a little bit, especially second half of the season with rookies. Um, I think that what you're going to see from him is a display of passing like we've always seen. I think his scoring is going to go up. I think the other guys like, you know, Barnes and whatnot, like, I think they'll put up numbers. But I don't think, I don't, like, Mobley will have a chance to win probably the most games out of the three, you know, and and, and that's going to say a lot. But, again, this kid's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, though. Giddy, so I think he's going to put up some really good numbers throughout the year. They're not going to win, obviously, and they're going to want to showcase him and give him more responsibility. I, I think that he has enough to do it. Um, will he by by a long shot? No, but I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say that he has enough. I think he's doing well. I think he's going to get better. He's one of those thinkers that, like a Rondo or, or someone like that, that like just figures it like a, like like Luca on some ends, not as good, but just same. Like guys who see the game like that, 
I think that they just figure it out and they get better as the year goes on. You know, when they get, when they get beat up a little bit, they figure out, figure things out. The more minutes and more responsibility they get. I think he could do it. I think, I don't think there's anybody that's a clear cut winner. That's why if there was a clear cut guy, I'd say yes. Um, I think Cunningham missed a lot of games. It's going to be tough for him to, to get back into it. I think that, I, I think you're going to see that Giddy gets it. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say fact. And and his numbers are, are pretty good. I think if that scoring can just get a bit of a boost. So he's currently at what is he at? Um ten. Yeah, ten point eight, seven point three rebounds, five point seven assists. Um the three point field goal percentage I spoke about, he's at twenty seven point seven. Not great, but what I like about that percentage is he's shooting them. He's shooting three point four a game. Not at a great clip for but he's a rookie. He's figuring it out. He's not scared to shoot him. That's what I like. Um and yeah, I mean ten essentially ten, seven, and five in your rookie season is by no means horrible. You look at who he's competing with, Jalen Green, fourteen a night, three rebounds, two assists. So the score I think if Giddy can just get the twelve or thirteen, I think then he has a, a legitimate chance to win it. I think with the current numbers, they'll probably go with a, a more flashy guy. And look, Giddy's not the most flashy, flashy passer, yes, but He's not going to come down and, and dunk on you and he's not going to have that highlight play on Sports Center. So I think that somewhat hurts, <laughs> as, as stupid as that sounds. Um, I think he's much more fundamental than the other guys. But yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Look at Scotty Barnes' numbers right now. I think he is a clear favorite. You know, 14.9 points, 8.3 rebounds, 3.3 assists. Three-point percentage is lower than Giddy's, funnily enough, 26.3%, um, but 50% from the field. But his numbers are definitely higher. He'll probably have more of an opportunity um, up there in Toronto because they won't, you know, they'll probably be the same the same position as OKC, so he'll continue to get minutes. But I, I, I want Josh to win it. I just think it's going to – these popularity contests usually go to the more flashy guy if it's similar numbers, and Josh really isn't that come down, rah-rah, talk shit, dunk on you kind of guy. So I think that, you know, maybe we should talk to him and get him to do a bit more of that, get ejected from a few games pro, maybe get a, a, sleeve, tat- a sleeve tattoo, and then, hey, he might be in the running for, for the rookie of the year. What, an OnlyFans account maybe? <laughs> He'll be there. I think he'll be top three, but um, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll go with uh, I think the popularity contest of uh, need to give something to Toronto and Canada as well. But um, that wraps up another episode. Fantastic stuff. Episode forty four. Appreciate everyone joining us. We did our Q and A beforehand again, so I'm not going to give you the teaser. You're going to have to jump on call in to hear a few of the cool questions we got asked, and we will continue to watch what's going on. Send us through stats. Send us through some fact or fake news. Let us know if you want us to talk about something that we're not talking about. We're happy to do it. And remember, next week we'll be on Q and A via the call in app. You can download on Apple for those asking. It will be on Android and for computers soon, so you can all join. We don't want to discriminate against different users not what we're about we're all about a quality pro all about a quality no discrimination here um but we will see you next week thanks bro folks thanks brother i'll see you later see you guys uh next week